This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Please remember to keep good personal hygiene and keep following the latest advice from the government and the World Health Organization. Offer a helping hand to the less fortunate than us, even if it's something like helping with their shopping or running small errands. But generally, the less fortunate need our help at this point, and we should be doing all that we can. So try to help, try to talk, and together we'll get through it. Um, it's important for us as teammates to to keep together, um, and same for the fans as well, to keep together and united through this. We need to look out for each other now more than ever. We need to help those who need help. We are the Aston Villa family and we support our own. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com and your host, as per usual, joining me for our first uh, show since uh, the coronavirus has changed the face of football and society as we know it. Mr. Chris Bird, welcome. Hello. And from Northern Ireland, Mr. Phil Shaw, welcome back. Hello. The last time I spoke about a virus was to uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Matt Damon for that film Contagion nine years ago uh, at Venice Film Festival when I used to go to film festivals and interview uh, actors and directors or whatever. I think we all know that it's possible that something like that could happen. Um, but my brother read an article in the New York Observer about like 10 or 12 years ago about where they sent a doctor out to swab surfaces in Manhattan. 
like a clean glass at a five-star restaurant, the subway, you know, and he was like, he, he was so freaked out by this article, and he had me written. He's like, there's feces on everything, and there's a staph on everything, there's an E. coli on a clean glass, and I was like, what? So for 10 or 12 years, I have been a hand washer from that article. So this didn't really... So what's the disease where you always wash OCD. No, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that, but I, I am aware of, you know, how dirty everything is. Nine years ago, you're just thinking about, you, you think you're talking about a concept that, oh, it could happen. And, and that's, you know, that's how you talk about it. And uh, here we are nine years later, and you watch that film and you're like, whoa, it's, uh, it's pretty much uh, exactly what's happened from the disease or the virus starting uh, in the, the animal markets in China or, or Asia. I can't remember exactly, but it's from a bat, isn't it, in the film as well, if you've seen it? I haven't seen the film. Yeah, I think bat droppings into the some into some other animal's food, and then it mixes. Yeah, and that's uh, pretty much exactly what's happened. And uh, here we are, and uh, it's uh, getting more serious uh, well, by the day. And uh, especially when you look at places like Italy, which uh, is a few weeks uh, ahead in terms of uh, how the curve is shaping up, and uh, you get a little insight into uh, where. Any other country, uh, you know, like the UK or wherever else you're listening, is kind of heading. So, what's going to happen to my old man? Said, well, my old man said, happens whatever happens, uh, unless they uh, cut off the internet. Then we live we in a may. permanent state of self-isolation, David. So we we may we may have a problem if they cut off the internet, but we will uh, be here like uh, like during the war war time where you used to huddle around the wireless to get updates and news. We will give you as well as. Uh, What's happening with Villa? A bit more of a context, maybe uh, in terms of Birmingham as well. Uh, I'm going to uh, speak to somebody who's a, a cafe owner in a f- future show uh, who will give us a context of how it's hitting Birmingham's uh, local trade, uh, a Villa fan. We'll uh, give you some reality rather than just some kind of, you know, just bullshit and quizzes and, you know, sh- shite like that. Coming up in this show, we will use the three points to give us a bit of context of how this coronavirus is affecting football thus far from the league obviously being suspended, the likelihood of when it will start, and then how the various levels of the football pyramid have reacted to uh the news in terms of Villa the main body of the show we will be talking about how this break has impacted on Villa is it a blessing in disguise if there is such a thing and uh, obviously at this point we're talking hypothetically in terms of uh, how this uh, if this season will pan out and end or if it unfortunately will have to be voided uh, because it stretches past uh, the summer right uh, gentlemen how are you anyway how is everybody it's, i'm sure I speak for all of us we need to think what a strange time we live in this is you know something no, none of us have experienced before you know none of us are old enough to remember like wartime but this is just unprecedented, isn't it? I mean, I sit, in, I sit in a studio all day and work on my own anyway. So in terms of I'm used to living in a state of isolation, but in terms of the general, you know, being able to go out and do things is, you know, being limited more and more. All my gigs have been cancelled. It's it's, a, it's just a strange time. Yeah, I mean, you know, me too. As I've always been freelance for you know, coming up to like two decades now. So, and most of the time I work from home. So there isn't that, you know, there isn't a, a seismic change for me. 
but uh, you know, if you've got kids and stuff, it's a it's a whole new ball game. And obviously, uh, a lot of people uh, with their work very much with a question mark over it. People losing jobs or having to take unpaid leave as well. Well, and whole companies going out of business. That's the thing. I mean, there was this attitude that it's you know it's not serious, and you know you hear people say, oh, when football comes back, well, you know maybe football doesn't come back uh, as you know. There's this attitude that it, oh, a couple of weeks and uh, we'll be uh, back at it, but they, you know they don't close down aviation links, they don't seal off borders unless it's like real, real serious. And you know I know people in like the pharmaceutical and medical trade, and also in engineering that have got government contracts and some of the things they're having to uh, build or have been requested to uh, price for are, uh, as the, the guy said to me, uh, you know, it left a lump in his throat. So uh, it is serious. So, But anyway, let's talk about it in a football context uh, by starting with the three points. The first point really sets the stage uh, for the domestic leagues that UEFA put back the uh, 2020 Euros, uh, back a year to 2021. I think this is... Uh, I think there was a lot of lobbying probably by the domestic leagues to rather than dwell on it on a month to month basis to uh, right let's just doesn't because there's no world cup the following year just you know let's just put it back and that frees up uh, the back end months to uh, complete domestic leagues and uh, and it gives you know the leagues are, are then they can play it month month by month rather than uh, having like a cutoff point because they know the Euros is there. So it's a, it was a sensible thing, wasn't it, all round? It was the obvious yeah, move, wasn't it? I don't think mm-hmm. there, there weren't too just many sort of get, uh, give complaints. Give breathing to... space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, spreading a pandemic, having a Euro- European-wide tournament uh, has kind of come back to bite them, really. Uh, this idea of expanding, expanding. And you know, I, I just like the idea of these tournaments to be hosted in one country. I, I wasn't that big on this idea of spreading it across Europe. No. Although I see the ideology, but you lose that kind of special flavor of a tournament, especially if you're a, you know, you're, you're a fan of a country and you go to the games. You, you want to experience what Denmark is like if it's hosted in Denmark, the whole thing, or you know, in Spain or whatever. Well, you want a tournament to reflect the culture and the the identity of the place you're being hosted by. You know, like, yeah. so, like you know, Russia in the last World Cup. You know, everybody went there expecting you know to be get their heads kicked in and were shitting themselves, and everybody <laughs> went out there said it was brilliant. Yeah, and and you you get to experience a you know, a culture properly yeah. over or like a when it was in you know um like we had the world cup in japan and korea you know you're experienced some people are probably experiencing a culture that they would never normally have a a reason yeah. well you know, there's obviously always a reason but they would never normally go to japan or korea or some yeah. of these countries but anyway uh, we'll, we'll be interested to see if they uh, do this uh set up again uh, for the euros Anyway, that brings us on to point number two, where the Premier League and EFL and all the other major football bodies, uh, what what do they call it, the top level, top tier of football, uh, have all agreed in a meeting. uh, And it was more a brainstorming meeting. I don't think anybody is in a position at this moment to offer sacrosanct timings on anything. Uh, They have agreed to put uh, the Premier League and other leagues back to April 30th. That is more a date for biding time to see how it goes. So there's 
A, it gives them a chance to uh, think about how uh, this is going to play out in terms of dates, etc. So provisionally, they will knock some dates up, as i.e. the fixture list for the rest of the season. But also B, it gives them more time to uh, come up with other alternate plans if uh, it's pushed back another month or two months, three months, or if uh, they have to avoid it, they will obviously come up with some ideas. Because their general stance is that they, they will finish the league whatever isn't it at the moment that's the that's the, the general line it's not whatever it's like in an ideal world they would like to finish the league they, they can't finish it by hook or crook because uh, if this virus you know gets worse and worse you know it's you've got to avoid it and but considering the government are reacting day to day you can't really expect uh, the premier league to uh, come up with anything uh, written in stone i mean when you look at the music scene for example all gigs are starting to be cancelled that will take place in april and uh, that will surely uh, soon be uh, applying to gigs that happen in May. I mean, you just have to look at that. Like, Glastonbury's already gone. That's a June thing. Cannes Fest- F- Festival, the biggest film festival, uh, which normally runs from May 12th to 23rd, or those are the dates this year, that's been uh, postponed. And they're looking for like June, July as an alternate date, which uh, even that I think is a bit optimistic. Uh, I mean, speaking, uh, I mean, I've got a couple of sisters who work in pharma and they get updates from the Royal Medical commission and uh, the earliest they are, have been told anything could happen in terms of uh, a relaxation on public gatherings or whatever you know they, they've been kind of saying and this is optimistic they're saying like may, late may june so uh, anybody like michael owen uh, made me laugh uh, i mean these footballers haven't got you know real half a brain they shouldn't be in the media anyway but michael owen tweets after today's announcement it looks like the premier league could be back at the end of april which would obviously be great news as it would mean we're over the worst of the coronavirus yeah thanks michael thanks michael for that you know actually do some research the premier league's just buying time they have to that's the only thing they can do and they have to do it systematically you know week by week by week i'm sure we'll get to the start of april and uh, i mean as i say it changes daily but every week i mean the difference of a week next week will be completely different uh yeah to, uh, what we're looking at so uh the premier league might even make an announcement next week and say uh, actually uh plan b was uh you know may end of may or whatever so that's what we're going for because you, you you're not just factoring in it's not like you get the all clear from the government on the monday and by the tuesday you can play matches is it it's a yeah they have, they have a duty of care for you know infrastructure staff etc all the policing and medical needs that come with posting matches. Players will have obviously basically been sat on their arse for the best part of six to eight weeks, potentially. You know, while they're finely tuned athletes, you can't just go from zero to a hundred because that's what ultimately that's what the fab will happen with the fixtures isn't it they'll they'll try and put as much into maybe a six-week period to put 10 11 rounds of matches in no you see the people talking about playing behind closed doors i mean this the psg uh Dortmund match yeah. was played behind closed doors and they still needed 500 people in the stadium to actually facilitate that so along with yeah. thousands of fans weren't that outside yeah. still yeah but in terms of that they've they've the one theory is to play out the rest of the the uh season within a few weeks but at neutral stage stadiums so fans or just wouldn't play them at training grounds like for example, you play them uh, in Birmingham or or the Midlands because it's like a you know halfway house. But I think these are all it's all a thinking out loud talk, mm. and I don't think it's because there's money 
and broadcasting at stake here. This is why they're really uh, stretching uh, for answers here, because safety is and health is the number one thing, and you you have to take that very seriously. I mean, you know, I don't want to you know scandalize or or anything, but you know, people uh, that I know work for engineering companies and you know big ones that you know one would do. aircraft engines all these uh, manufacturing engineering companies of like high level have been asked to uh, diversify and and, and uh, tender a bid to do these ventilators cuz we we have like 7000 we need they want 20000 extra ones and this shows you what's you know how serious and ventilators will be used for people obviously in intensive care as it's a, a respiratory issue so that's this kind of scale and uh, there's other things that the government want building and they're like quarantine buses and actually incinerators as well and like like mobile morgues so this is the kind of scale we're looking at and it's kind of quite nihilistic i mean as the, the guy said to me when he when he saw the proposal uh, he got via email there was a lump in his throat and he was like well i've never seen anything like this it was pretty macabre stuff but it's like uh it's when uh sentiment kind of goes out the window you are just practically trying to meet head-on a pandemic Pandemic, which is pretty fucking serious to to be sure so when you look at you know people like michael Owen, i mean i don't want to get michael owen it's, it's it's just indicative of a lot of people who have taken this a bit lightly you know they're staying at home doing keep me ups with toilet rolls while uh, on the front line you've got nurses doctors gps at real risk you've also you know you've got the people uh, trying to keep the supply lines supermarkets etc from, be it you know even from the checkout staff to uh, the delivery drivers on the front line working their asses off for survival and then you know you just see people goofing around jerking around yeah you need a bit of light, light, light relief but it kind of puts in perspective there's something wrong with society when you have footballers getting paid hundreds of thousands and now they're actually useless to society well they're getting paid an absolute fortune to literally do fuck all because they're not even training most of them. Which kind of brings us on to point number three. Uh, I mean, there's obviously things people can do. Uh, Manchester United have said that they will continue to pay casual matchday staff, even if the remainder of the season is cancelled or if it's played behind closed doors. I think that's understood to be across 3,000 staff. That'll be like a million uh, pounds to kind of cover, which is, you know, that's... uh, When you're at that level of how much money the top clubs are making... People would say this is the least they could do, but it's also uh, something that they're not obliged to do. I think, you know, people, and this is going back to the players. I mean, I'm, I'm sure players do things behind the, the scenes. I mean, if I was a player, I wouldn't be uh, tweeting, oh, I just donated uh, 50 grand to, you know, this dog charity or whatever. You just get on with it and, and help. You, you, you're not getting PR for it. Uh, I mean, Marcus Rashford has donated a significant fee to a charity to help provide uh, meals for children affected by school closures. And this is the type of stuff that footballers really should be doing off their own backs and not seeking uh, media attention. And by the way, I'm not saying Marcus Rashford has here. I'm just saying that's a good example of what footballers should be doing rather than you know flicking fucking uh, toilet paper around their house also like gary neville and gigs have opened up their hotels haven't they for free of charge for nhs staff similarly yeah the Ch- hotel Chelsea football have. and there's one in the center of town and there's the one at uh, stanford bridge isn't it they're opening that up for 
NHS staff yeah. as well. So that's the top of the football pyramid. Meanwhile, at the other end, you've got a real problem there because uh, a lot, of, you know, let's say the the last two divisions and then you also, let's say, the fifth tier, the National Conference, whatever it's called now, these are clubs that need their match day revenue to pay their staff and uh, you know this filters down to people losing their job and you know there was an example of Barnet uh, this week have put most of the club staff on notice including the first team coaching and backroom staff and operational staff across all areas of the club they were on parachute payments I think they were relegated two seasons ago to non-league so their parachute money expires they're kind of where their business model was we need to get promoted sounds familiar actually it's like the villa championship business model we need to get promoted or the shit's going to hit the fan so we we kind of have an insight into that but it you know that's that's the uh cutthroat nature if you basically get rid of all your stuff now it's basically a safety measure to whatever happens and then if well, I mean, the goal, the goal for these clubs is, is is long-term survival. You know, if it's a bit of short-term pain, as they'd call it. Yeah, if, when football does come back, they'll be saying to these people, hey, do you want a job? Basically, your old job. But, you know, that is the reality of the situation. I mean, the EFL have promised a £50 million pound kind of kitty across the board to help all clubs uh, get over the when short-term. You, when you split that between quite a few clubs, that's not a lot of money. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Because the operating costs of some of those especially the bigger championship clubs with essentially Premier League infrastructure around them. 50 million wouldn't even cover the top half of the championship, potentially. Yeah, I think I think it would be more spearheaded for the uh, the lower two leagues. Though, yeah, it'd be the bottom two tiers. Because they're the ones that would be at risk of completely going out of business. Anyway, on to uh, Aston Villa. As expected, Bodymore Heath has been on shutdown all week, uh, allowing players to isolate... Uh, and pretty much sort out uh, with their families how they are going to uh, continue uh, henceforth. I think everybody will be on individual uh, training programs. I mean, most of these players will have gyms in their house anyway. So uh, actually keeping generally fit is not an issue. It's just obviously uh, match fitness is something I'm sure they'll be uh, looking at how they uh, decide. I mean, for example, if football comes back April 30th, it's interesting to know how... uh, and this is why it's not going to come back then. How the players get up to match fitness again and how they begin to train again, considering that uh, isolation is key at the moment. Because I know like, I think Wolves are due back in training very soon. They've had, you know, some teams have had a few days after they're letting them go back and they'll, they'll kind of let them, now they know they've got a lot of time to play with, they'll probably let a few guys sort of come in dribs and drabs. Yeah. Maybe five asides only, or uh, two asides, or, or one something. interesting thing from the uh, the Villa side of things I saw with uh, with Trezeguet is that he's actually with a lot of his other um, colleagues have said that he's gonna he's accepted a challenge of uh, Syed Samir, who he plays with, and he is going to take care of the expenses of forty families for the month to come, which I think is a really nice thing. Wow, to do with Ella Ahmed Hagazi, obviously, who's at West Brom, and a lot of those, a lot of those guys. Well, yeah, no, this this is uh, this is football. Uh, this is how it you know should be uh, helping community at this this stage. I mean, it's early days as well. It's only people have only really started taking ser- this seriously the last week or two, and uh, the isolation uh, is going to ramp up. Uh, more seriously in the next few days. Uh, update on season tickets. Obviously, uh, they're not issuing early bird because uh, the future is uncertain at the moment, so they don't know when the next season will be. Uh, I've actually, I should put it up on the, the website. Uh, 
behind the scenes, the Football Supporters Association have been contacting all the train companies uh, and travel companies in terms of fans that may have already bought advanced tickets, train tickets, travel tickets to games uh, for the rest of the season in terms of how they uh, get their money back, what the situation is. Most, uh, I think the feedback, if I remember rightly, is, you know, change. You normally have to play like a £10 uh, change charge or whatever on some tickets that's been wavered and i think advanced tickets will be uh, you'll be able to change them but uh, i'll put that up on the website too another thing in villa news you know sad news uh, villa related uh, peter whittingham spent four years at the club back uh, i think he left was it 2007 yeah, he was a youth cup winner, wasn't he? He was in that sort of yeah. team that beat the you know the young Rooney Everton side with the you know the Moore brothers and yeah. a few other players. I mean, he'd been in uh, intensive care in hospital for a few days, and uh, there'd been reports that he'd, he he was dead. And uh, you know, ex teammates of his uh, tweeted uh, about you know R.I.P. blah blah blah. But he was actually still alive. Uh, I mean, this is uh, another cautionary tale in terms of. Uh, what you believe and uh, what you should be uh, kind of retweeting and, and spreading. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, he did uh, eventually pass away. I mean, it was a bizarre incident. Uh, it was a strange thing because I thought, is this an illness? Because sometimes they don't talk about why they are in hospital or in intensive care. But it was it was a bizarre incident, wasn't it, Phil? Yeah, I mean, um, looking at the, the police report, um, he seemed to have been out um, just to watch the England-Wales uh, Six Nations game. And he yeah. just, he, in a pub in Barry, and he just uh, tragically fell down the stairs. And, you know, that was it. He just, he, he never, I don't know. head injury, wasn't it? Head, head injury. I don't know, you know, obviously I don't know the ins and outs of it, but he um, never seemed to come round again. And unfortunately, he leaves behind, the, you know, wife, children, pregnant wife as well. So, yeah, yeah, just very, very sad. Especially in terms of what's happening now. And uh, as you say, his uh, young family and pregnant wife. I mean, at, at Villa, he... Uh, and he was one of these players that, a bit like, reminds me of Stephen Davis and even Gary Cahill to some extent. Young players that Villa managers at the time didn't have 100% faith in and let their contracts go. And Whittingham had about 50-odd uh, games, just over uh, a half century of games. And then they actually went on to prove themselves as players that were perhaps better than uh, the players that were were brought in in some cases to replace them because he's he's kind of known as a, uh, a Cardiff legend. I mean, some people call him uh, the club kingpin at one stage. I think he made, he's made over like 400 appearances, scored uh, around I think, 85 goals over a 10-year period, which is, uh, I mean, Villa, the amount of Villa legends or so-called Villa legends on social media, uh, some of them have barely played 100 games. But this was a, a legit, Cardiff City uh, legend who I think he, he started off on the left as he was at Villa and then he kind of displaced Joe Ledley who was uh, in the Cardiff team at that stage and then he switched more centrally but he scored some bangers I mean I was looking at some uh, compilation videos earlier on today and he, he looks like a different player to the one that I remember at Villa I mean obviously he was very young at that time yeah I remember at Villa he, he was one of those players who he, he just he had lots of potential and then just as we started to get good it became apparent that he wasn't quite at the level you know that an O'Neill um you know would would, would require to push on at, at that time and obviously he went on he never he never sort of you know soared the heights as it were to become a real you know top Premier League player like Cahill did uh but yeah he's probably in that in a very similar mould to someone like a Stephen Davis who was probably better than 
Villa realised he was, but at that time yeah. at Villa, he he probably had to go when he did. I mean, say, saying that, I just realised those, those two names I mentioned were also under O'Neill. Uh, they, they were the exodus from O'Neill, and uh, I mean, yeah, it was it was the breakup of that O'Leary era team, wasn't it? But I just remember winning him. He's like he's like a niche player. I mean, um, it's I mean O'Neill seemed to bring in sort of identical players that were you know to play the counter attacking game. You know, PSE yeah. powerful everything else. You know, Whittingham's left foot really would have would have offered something. I mean, sort of reminds me a bit like of a, a younger Hurahan. He's he's got that. You know, other than just both of them being left footed, you know, there's there was always sort of product. There was always you know an assist. Yeah. There was always yeah, something he, like he that. He always had a great delivery, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he could he could hit them from outside the box as well, which I don't remember him doing at Villa. <laughs> and I think he only scores it like maybe one goal at Villa. I don't, I, yeah. you know, with a lot of Villa players, you kind of remember that those eras. And I think that, you know, the goal scoring player that everyone remembers from his era that was probably similar to him was, of course, was Hitzelsberger, you know, had also had yeah. the, the rocket of a left foot, but actually chipped in with goals. And he was probably ahead of him just at that period. And they both, well, they both left at a very similar time as well, didn't they? Yeah. But yeah, as Phil was saying, they're, they're kind of players that aren't, they are not the, the functional player, actually, you know, the functional player that gives you a hundred percent running around there. There's something, there's a bit more individuality about them. If that's uh, I don't know if that is accurate. No, I, I, Maybe a bit slight, a bit, a bit uh, lightweight, I think was. Yeah, he was, he was lightweight. And it was net because he played on the wing. O'Neill would see him. Yeah, because he played on the wing for Villa, he he never had that like blistering pace. That of course he would have essentially was replaced with a young Ashley Young at that time, yeah. who at that point was ultimately head and shoulders better than him, um, yeah. and has you know clearly gone on to have a much better career. So it was it was probably proven at the time to be a you know the right decision. But yeah, just a, just a really sad way for a player who you know ultimately you know does he go down as a Villa legend? No, but he's he's one of those players that nobody would have a bad word to say about him either, I don't think. No, I mean, it's it's more, uh, he is a, a Cardiff City uh, legend, but his roots are at Villa. So, I mean, it's a very sad age, 35. Uh, so our thoughts are with his family uh, at this time, especially his wife. Uh, moving on, I just want to say uh, thank you very much for the, the My Old Man Said patrons as usual in these difficult times to obviously help keep us going. Lots of things planned despite this situation in terms of uh, bonus podcasts coming up. Uh, as well as uh, the usual uh, extra more reactionary ones I'll be doing a few solo ones on uh, various things uh, through my own man's head history like the origin story and various behind the scenes scuffles with the club and uh, there are a couple of corkers in there the FA etc if you're new to the my own man universe I mean obviously uh, some of our listeners would have been in there from the start, so uh, and they're very much part of uh, the foundations that my old man said were, were kind of built on. I mean, it makes me laugh. Some people still just think uh, my old man said just like a Facebook page or something. We're going on for like ten years now. I think. I think next year's the. Uh, Tenth year anniversary, so uh, some good stuff there. Also uh, coming up, uh, we're putting together uh, a few a uh, few little tricks that we. Uh, we used to do, uh, uh, I think older listeners will know, uh, let's put it this way, we've used the parts 
from the Scott Hogan touch count meter to rebuild the time machine uh, that we used to uh, get in. I don't think Bud's ever been in the time machine. I don't know how it's going to how it's how he's going to react to it. We we, we shall uh, find out. But we've got a, a decent uh, episode coming up. Hopefully, we can record it uh, in the next couple of days and have it out next week. And uh, if that goes down well, then there'll be more of those. Uh, production numbers to come but uh, thank you very much uh, to patrons and uh, the ones that have uh, signed up since the last show matthew smith lily chris hill michael smith wes roach adam kelly doug and a big thanks also to uh, Stephen martin as well for signing up uh, most recently also i forgot uh, over the last few uh, episodes to give shout outs to uh, the people who support us as facebook supporters uh, so uh, just a shout out for some of the recent ones that i haven't uh, mentioned over the last few uh, weeks and indeed months. Uh, Leslie Dyke, Neil Gardner, Matthew Allen, James McQueen, and also Russ Wilson. A massive thanks. And uh, thank you, Russ, for that message as well, because uh, I would have completely forgot to uh, give you guys a shout out. Please do go to uh, myomansaid.com and uh, check out the Patreon option and do uh, support us in these times. And we will give you uh, a load more shows during this isolation period. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And that brings us to how this break will impact on Aston Villa. Uh, I mean, let's look at the context of it. Uh, We're at Wembley. I mean... (sighs) The good news is, and, and we, you know, you got to be thankful for it. Uh, well, at least thirty-three and a half thousand of us who went to Wembley. At least we've had a big day out, like a proper Villa fun day out, and saw a decent game uh, and, and, and a performance that actually gave us optimism. So we have that to be thankful for. The problem was the next game we played dissipated all of that uh, optimism in terms of uh, it looks like we've got some fighting spirit to make a fist of the end of the season and against Leicester complete capitulation but also just question marks about Dean Smith like real question marks started to pop up like you've managed to play Leicester in two games in you know we're talking competitive games in a in a cup semi-final playing certain systems and and very recently as well and very recently, and then you revert back to a formation pretty much that got us spanked at Villa Park against them, and we pretty much got the same result. We conceded four goals. So you're thinking, what? It's a bit naive. Has that been like probably the key word of the whole season, though? Yeah, but before we, you know, we get into that, because obviously we've gone over that ground so many times. Then there was reports that Chelsea was uh, a game that may decide his uh, future. I mean, we you get that all the time. Once a manager's on a bit of a bad run, it's always like, oh, he has the next game to prove himself. I don't think uh, the way that Perslow, from my experiences of talking face-to-face to Perslow, when I've ever dropped a question mark uh, above Smith's head, the answer has always been in a, a, a reinforced answer that it's very much he is long term. So I could never really see Smith going at the end of the season. What what I could see was if we did get relegated and it was in the style of that Leicester game, pretty much relegated with a whimper, then I think the fans would have 
made up the decision for the club at the end of the season and I could see Smith going. If we uh, go down battling, you know, every inch, you know, we're, we're up against teams that are survival clubs, as I've called them uh, in previous podcasts, where they are just built to survive in the Premier League and that is the extent of their ambition but when you're built to survive you're, you're pretty resolute and as all these teams have shown you know they've beaten all these top, top 10 teams and we've only beaten Burnley in the top half of the league that shows we're a bit of a soft touch and you know while we've played very well against some of these teams and that Wembley Cup final was an example of how we've been gallant but ultimately came up short you look at Wigan beating Manchester City and getting relegated in the same season. This is a Wigan team that had a way of winning. And even though they were gallant, they, they could beat anybody. They just, in the end, I think, problem with Wigan, they, they had, because of their cup run, they had so much fixture congestion that they just couldn't mentally keep beating teams. They were playing three games in a week and you just knew, even though they could beat anybody on their day, it was just uh, too, you know, too much to do. This Villa team, though, uh, against Leicester, that's when you start to think, well, is this how it's going to be? Because we've done that again. You know, we did that against Watford in games that you really need to win. And in the early part of the season, Smith was pretty good at getting his team to win the games that we needed to win. So that's the context and then suddenly this virus happens and the league's shut down. So, I mean, everything we're going to talk about really is hypothetical because we're assuming this season will kick off again. So let's start with that conversation. So, uh, Phil, how, how do you think this situation is um, impacted on Villa? I mean, has it given Smith a second chance? Has it given the whole club a second chance to actually get out of this situation? I mean, what, what, what's your reading of the situation if it's to continue? Yeah, well, I mean, if it is going to be the the ten game summer shootout that people are expecting, you know, it's it's only an advantage to Aston Villa. For I me, mean, looking at the Leicester game, I mean, it was like abandon all hope. That was really yeah. the the outcome of the Leicester game. It was, you know, you lost faith in the the coaching staff. You lost faith in the players. I mean, everything that could have went wrong in that game. I mean. Even Samara had an early chance and you thought to yourself, you know, these are the sort of chances he's burying and he just that just yeah. put it wide. And so now you come out of that game depressed, all our relegation rivals will be thinking, well, don't worry about Villa, they're going to finish bottom, let alone, um, yeah. you know, anywhere near us. Then this break happens and we still don't know whether this break is going to be a, a short break, a long break or even permanent if they do end up having to avoid the league. But uh, you're now looking at a 10 game shootout with a Villa team that like get them into the, the dressing room, get them somewhere, say, right, whatever's gone before, clean slate, scrap it, let's go again with McGinn coming in, you know. It's only an advantage to us. Yeah, I'm just thinking, uh, I mean, a lot of people have said on social media that cup run has saved us because it means we have a game to play so they can't really just close the league off as it is and say, right, Liverpool champions, you guys in the Europe, you guys relegated. I don't think they can do that anyway, really, because you start the league under the understanding it's X amount of games and... It's where you lie after 38 games that determines if you get relegated or not. I can't, I mean, that's this is my opinion. I can't see them closing off the league as it is, especially with Villa with a game in hand, but I don't think they could do that anyway. I think as things stand, it's it, it's probably, that's ultimately the last resort, isn't it? But they'll, they, they will look at it as, you know, if we do this, what will happen in terms of this? And they'll be thinking, well, a lot of people you've heard in sort of media say, well, you can give Liverpool the title because they're as good as won it. Well, mathematically they haven't, but it's, it's and that, and they're kind of isolated anyway. You know, it doesn't 
really change anything for them. Yeah. But when you start getting a couple of places down, all of a sudden you're looking at things becoming fair or unfair and the, the sort of integrity of the competition. It's like, well, if Leicester, who've had an amazing season by any standards, and the fact that where they were last year and how much they've improved, they're thoroughly deserving of you know, that place in the Champions League. And then you go a bit further down and you're thinking, well... Well, this is it. It's high, it's high stakes. Yeah. The, mo- high, the high money. stakes all the way down. And then you get to the bottom and it get, it becomes even more high stakes because yeah. if, if, if in the event that Villa were to get relegated, Villa would have a pretty solid case in court to say, all right, we'll have our 170 yeah. million then, please. Yeah. Because in terms of like the, the prestige of the league, it's like, is it about the prestige of the league? Well, you know, with all honesty, no. It's about the money. <laughs> Yeah, the Liverpool thing's no real big issue. Uh, it's it's no, the European places and it's the relegation places because and then it's the league below, of course, as well. It's the it's the thing of you know, some people have said, oh, well, let Leeds and West Brom come up. It's like, well, if you do that, you're going to get four lawsuits from the likes of Brentford, Forest, and the other sides yeah. in the in the playoff positions because they're going to go, well, we didn't get a fair crack at the whip for the third place. Or even if Leeds and if if Leeds and West Brom weren't allowed up, then you're in the position of them going, well, hang on a minute. We've just missed out on a hundred and something million quid for a club like yeah. Leeds and the you know the financial shitstorm they've been in for the best part of what fifteen years or more. Well, it's more, isn't it? That will reinvigorate that club. Yeah, other Championship fans will say, "Well, let's look at uh, Leeds, and they had even a better lead or start to a season last year, and still buggered it up." And there's a reason why people sing Leeds are falling apart again, the Joy Division song, because uh, that's what they do, and that's they do it very well. Yeah, don't we enjoy it? And football, as most sports, it deals, and the beauty of football is the f- finality of it. It's Liverpool. I mean, for example, uh, last season, if there was a catastrophe. And it happened after the first leg of that knockout round where uh, Liverpool played Barcelona in the Champions League. And Liverpool had lost the first leg 3-0 and then some catastrophe happened and they say, right, OK, we're going to we're going to start the Champions League again, but I don't think we'll, we have time to play the second leg. And they'll go, well, Barcelona are 3-0 up first leg. There's no way Liverpool are going to claw that back. And most people will go, well, you know, that's fair enough. But this is football and exactly and this is sport and miracles do happen and i'm not saying liverpool are going to blow the league but they're are they on a losing run at the moment i think they are aren't they they're not having a particularly great run yeah i'm not saying it's not going to happen but it, we should deal with uh finality if, if that is even yeah. a word oh, and in terms of the rest of the league all the other sort of permutations are very close it's like you know, you, you got your very extreme Villa, Villa fans all say, oh, it's going to be a miracle if we stay up from here. But the essential thing is you've, you're one game or, or one win away from the from getting out of the bottom three. It's and not we have a, mir- a game in hand. Yeah, it's not miracle stakes yet. We're in a bad position and we've played ourselves into trouble. But it's, yeah. it's still in our own hands and we can and we're more than capable of getting out of trouble. And that game is against Sheffield United. And if we win that, it's not the greatest win ever in the history of Villa. And and, and in the context of relegation escapes, it will be seen as no real big deal. So yeah. And to be fair, on paper, we need a miracle over ten games. Yeah. When you look at those fixture lists in uh, in like last June, you're looking down at going right. We've got Sheffield United. Then right, we're going to need to beat those teams that came up with us. You're not thinking about Sheffield United at that point in terms of oh well, you know, they're going to be challenging for you know yeah. the, well the reality is that they they they'd have a, a cast iron case if um, if Man City got banned from Europe and they beat Villa in their game in hand they'd be in the Champions League places 
Yeah. You know, there's so much to play for. And I, and I think just morally as a Villa fan, I think everybody obviously wants Villa to stay up, but you want Villa to have deserved to stay up. Yeah. I certainly do. It's like, well, if you stay up by default, well, so be it. But it's like, it's not a particularly credible way to stay in the division. Yeah, I mean, to be honest... Uh... I'm not that bothered. If if we can stay up by any means necessary, I, I'll take it at this juncture. So uh, <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying. At the same time, people have, you know, they're coming up with these theories of how do you resolve this situation. Some people have said, right, let's condense this into like some neutral ground shootout, uh, neutral grounds as in to uh, limit the effects of uh, not having, you know, pl- basically closed behind closed doors neutral venues and you just think that's thinking too hard because a you're taking villa's only chance of survival by the way is hopefully uh midweek games at villa park villa park will play a a big role in this because we will have to pull out victories against or points from the you know against the likes of manchester united chelsea's etc so that takes away suddenly we're a disadvantage by this proposition of the neutral venues there's also you know that the league finishes you promote west brom and promote leeds because they are i think six points clear in the in the Mm -hmm. instant you give liverpool the title and you play next season with 22 teams, which the Premier League used to be one of the top tier, certainly did once upon a time. And then next season, you relegate five. That's fine, I think, in theory. I don't know how that pans out for the rest of the divisions. I mean, we, we haven't had a look at that. But then you've still got the European places. And there is a big, you know, there's not that many points separating teams that up there. And there's a big difference if you make the Champions League and you don't. It could transform a club like Sheffield United or Wolves, for example. And and, and in the, it's the, it, you go down a division and it's the same. You know, you look at someone like Brentford, who are back in the uh, the playoff positions for the first time, well, since Smith was at the club. And, um, and you're thinking, well, if they don't go up, they will get raided. If they were to go up for the first time ever, they're probably thinking, actually, we can keep our players and build something. You know, you're looking at Fulham, who have kept a lot of the players that they got relegated with. I think they're in, they're in third position currently. Yeah. They'll be looking at it going, this is our opportunity to keep the likes of Mitrovic, Kearney, people like that. Financially, we, do, we know we get ourselves out of trouble um, and then we're, you know, we're back up and running again. Um, we can sort of rebuild and improve in a Premier League, which you know is, is potentially what Villa may end up having to do. But you know, they somehow managed to keep their best players. Yeah. What, what is the, uh, the, what's the cricket thing when it rains? The Duckworth-Lewis. Yeah, that, that wouldn't work in Villa's favour either. I, I was uh, I was thinking, is there a Duckworth solution to this? And I was thinking, there's no way we come out of that good. <laughs> Not on our recent run of form. Mm. And uh, for, for, I, first halves, yeah, <laughs> no, we, we used to do we used to do all right. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if they divided the points by the number of games. Uh, for example, that would be the simplest way, and it would be shafted. And obviously, the, the whole home away of, and the permutations and nuances involved does not make it a fair uh, re- reflection of what could happen. So, I, I think virus willing that they will aim to play out the rest of the season up until. Well, this is the thing when you got next season, when you start to park it into next season. Then you've got an issue. You've got a transfer Ultimately, window. This is, you know, we're, in a, we're in a fluid position. We don't know where we're at. You know, if, if everything kind of works as I think they hope it will, they're probably thinking they will start the season back up when they would have normally finished it potentially. And then you're yeah. thinking, well, if you can get through the end of May, June to get ten rounds of fixtures, well, eleven in Villa's case, you're probably looking 
you're going to need, what, a six-week period of like every Saturday with some midweeks as well, allowing teams to have a little bit of a seven-day break in between certain points. Obviously, that isn't going to play in Villa's hands. I think you're not a seven-day break in it. I think you're playing midweek and uh, Well, you're going to have to. Know, I mean, at some point in that run of games over six weeks, you know, if you're playing 10 games, you are going to have a certain amount of break yeah. in between games or you can space them out. You don't even have to always play Saturday. Like you, know, you could, in theory, play every uh, four days. Yeah. Yeah, the the order, you know, the people are going, oh, it's a hard two games for Villa here, it's a hard three games in a row. Suddenly that order's out the window. We could be playing these 10 teams that we'll have to play. We could be playing them in any order. I mean, you could you could end up with uh, United, Liverpool, Chelsea, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. But I think uh, once it gets to a certain point where you can't really finish it before the next season starts, and obviously you've got transfer window to factor in, and end the contracts, then I think the only other option is just avoid the whole season and then just focus on the next season. Obviously, you want it nice and tidy, but there is that point where if, if the situation worsens and uh, it's unrealistic to play any games and you can't take chances and go, well, we've got to do this because think about the money and it's just it's just inconvenient not to do it. I think you've it's got funny, to, isn't it? Because you've got to avoid it. Yeah, some people are arguing, oh, you know, continuity and and all that sort of stuff of the competition. But most of the, the arguments that people are having are basically money. You know, when people yeah. talk about, you know, rele- relegation, Europe, ah, oh, what about the legal shitstorm? People aren't talking about a legal shitstorm because they are desperate to are desperate about one place in the Premier League. They're bothered about the difference between earning, what is it, three or four million at the top of the championship in TV money or 170 million in the Premier League or the difference, you know, in the hundreds of millions in the Champions League. It basically comes down to money. And the news flash is, up until a certain point, the UK government were taking the the stance towards this virus uh, with the theory of herd immunity. So essentially, let 60% of the um, the population get it. That builds up uh, immune system and uh, onward and upwards. The problem was when, uh, who was it, the Imperial College? Yeah. yeah. Who were doing, running the models, because they can run these models uh, Basically, there's a computer program that shows you if you take certain actions, this is how it pans out for you. You know, they were they were showing uh, a quarter of a million dying if you take these steps, and that's within 24 hours they switched to replicating what's going on pretty much mainland Europe and all over the world. And here we are in self isolation because that was the news flash. Herd immunity. And you're going to have a quarter of a million dead on your hands. And when I said earlier on about uh, they are getting uh, quotes for, for as well as you know ventilation units, but also uh, mobile morgues essentially and incinerators and stuff, it's not easy to get rid of a quarter of a million people who have died in quick. They're all, you know buying up a land as well, and this is not something you take lightly. This is how serious it is. And when you're thinking, oh yeah, well we, we should be able to finish it in June, blah, oh you know we've got to finish it, and blah blah blah. It's it's of zero significance, and it's just going to be a matter of insurance companies and uh, the finances will go out the window, and a lot of people will be stung, and uh, a lot of it will be uh, all about. Uh, crisis management and damage limitation in terms of finances you know and a lot and a lot of people you'd be thinking you know there's, there's the health factor you know, there's the, the the economic meltdown that's happening as well and you're thinking if people are losing jobs livelihoods deep down are people actually gonna if, if you know in a, in, a, in a much worse case than as we think it might go but if it goes towards that side of things are people even going to give a shit? No, exactly. I-, I mean, to be brutally honest, after the after the shit show at Leicester, I've just been like, do you know what? I'm quite glad of the break from Villa. <laughs> 
but in it's the short but it's term. not but but it's not even the case of that. It's just football per se. It's yeah, nothing. It's just, it's just not a priority. It's it's zero priority. This is the situation. It's like the, the, these will be proper decisions, not uh, we've got to try to wedge in and finish the season. If it can't be finished, then to void the season and you have to start the season again, uh, but you'll have a transfer window. Clubs will complain, you know, the teams in the, the championship who wanted to get promoted and they're going to miss out on the pie. Maybe there'll be legal cases there. But or you just or you just don't have a transfer window. Clubs can't sell. So it's- what will a judge say? They will say, "Well, people are dying. We've just lost. You know, we're talking about people are fighting over toilet paper in supermarkets now. Imagine it, a month, two months down the line. Where you know you could be walking into hell, and, and football is pretty inconsequential. And you know people should be worried. And uh, I don't really want to uh, make them even more worried. But all I'm saying is uh, just it's just perspective, pr- isn't it? You've got to be realistic mm-hmm. and practical, and football is not the uh, be-all and end-all. As as a fan, it will be a hard hard uh, bullet to take if your team does not get promoted. I mean, I'm, and I'm not just talking from a point of view of a fan whose team uh, is in the relegation zone at the moment and won't get relegated because the season will be voided. I mean, that that's just too fucking small time thinking. The upshot is at the moment. I think that April the thirtieth is uh, it's just the next step of uh, yeah it's just a bookmark isn't it this the, it is, the yeah. strange thing with all of this is i can't well clearly in my lifetime i can never remember there being no global sport there's always been something you know even when there's been like little like you know yeah. when there was sars or foot and mouth or like, you know swine flu and things like this they'd be relatively regional and therefore or if there were like problems with i remember there was like an nba uh, shutout and things like that but there's never been uh, anything in that to my knowledge where the whole of global sport has just shut down completely yeah maybe uh virtual sports and uh, gaming will E-sports, be the yeah. become the new sports but i think even uh i think netflix yeah. said they've gonna they're gonna take down their resolution to just free up a bit of bandwidth because obviously everybody's on the internet now. Sorry, Phil. No, yeah, e- esports. I think they've been shut down as well because the way it's heading, it's not you know it's not people sitting in their you know their living rooms playing. They're looking to get teams together and you know yeah, they're playing arenas. Yeah, yeah, Barcelona have an esports team, and I'm sure Villa are heading that way eventually. Yeah, I know that the guys I work with at Formula E they do a, a thing before every major race where the the punters can actually race against the actual drivers on the track you know in an you know in a virtual version of the race it's crazy yeah maybe maybe the scott hogan touch camp will be the only form of sporting activity out competitive sporting activity out there uh right anything else to add uh apart from uh making sure everybody you stay safe and uh, don't go crazy out there phil how do you um how do you think the, the extended gap actually works in Villa's favour? Do you think it's a case that Smith can go away, reflect, they can all do that? I mean, obviously, every team is in a position to do that now. But in terms of, do you think Smith's currently sat doing a bit of soul searching and working out, hang on, where's this, well, a year on, where has this gone wrong? And do I have to really, really sort of rethink my plan here or refocus? Or This this is where I had my doubts over Smith. I mean, they're, that's what I said, the doubts after that um, Watford away game. I was I really had problems after that. You know, he, he won me over again and then now he's I'm, I'm, I'm heading back there. It might, it might be fickle, but I mean, you know, the, the concerns never went away that he, um, he he's stubborn. He like he thinks by doing things the, the right way that it'll, it'll work out eventually. I'm just hoping that he, you know, he applies sort of he doesn't become stubborn with a, a, a tactical plan again. You know, he, he, he does sort of change. I mean, after um, in the Leicester game, if he had have 
seen the way it was going, he should have done something to switch the a back three because he knows that that nullified Leicester the last two times. Yeah. But um, I th- I hope he's not just pinning his hopes on McGinn having the same effect that uh, Grealish coming back last season but did. Phil, uh, the, the finger of blame is started starting to be pointed at Suso, the sporting director. Does Smith actually have a squad at his disposal that are good enough to get him out of this? And as I've said, other teams around us are survival teams and they have been in the Premier League for a couple of seasons, at least uh, most of them. And so they have Premier League ready squads. Well, you look down ours and you, there's an assortment of you know mid-level championship team, uh, former teams that were mid-level championship teams or Belgium teams. And there's a question mark over the caliber of some of these players. Uh, is it right that the finger of blame should be pointed at recruitments and does he have the team to get us out of here? Are they too young, etc.? I think they're too, I don't want to say too soft because it's a word that's going to be used again and again. I mean, Keenan Davis, um, when I think it was the what led to Leicester's third goal. Johnny Evans had just made a sliding tackle on the edge of their box. He was still on the ground. Keenan Davis was on his feet with the ball at his feet and he managed to run into Johnny. He, like, he wasn't up for the tackle there and Keenan Davis probably the strongest player we have. Yeah. There's just, I mean, I don't know. I, I go back to training. I mean, if you're training with players that, you know, maybe that pressure isn't being put on in training in the matches they play against each other, in the match situations, then it's sort of carrying over to the pitch that they think, oh, the referee will give me that decision, you know, if I do the right things in the pitch rather than, you know, putting a bit, sort of doing the nasty things, doing the dirty work in the pitch that somebody needs to. And I, th- I think that com- comes from Smith, unfortunately. That I mean, you're looking at with hindsight now, and I mean, this is something you grumbled about uh, earlier on. In terms of the recruitment, should they have been a bit more tried and tested Premier League experience because that's what we said Heaton was and then you look around the rest of the team and it's not really there and, and you've got Jack as uh, the captain so you're kind of hoping that uh, and from a captain's point of view you, it's like the inspiration of you know the Grealish razzle and dazzle that will hopefully uh, shine off to the rest of the team but then you look at who's the real leader and, you, and you're looking at Mings and Mings with all due respect, hasn't had that many games in the Premier League. So it's not like he's not the old guard. He's not like a tried and trusted premiership level and he's composed. And because, you know, Mings, as we've discussed on the show, and as, as most fans have said, the, he does have a moment uh, every other game or every game where perhaps, you know, he does panic sometimes and he isn't that, he hasn't got that experience because he's been injured a lot. So that cuts down the amount of game time experience that he's acquired over his career and as we saw in January they purposely brought in Pepe Reina and Drinkwater to give us that experience but you looked at them and you thought ah, are they just like cannon fodder for our relegation well they're very cheap plasters aren't they to put over the cup but they're not going to get to the root problem I wouldn't have said I, I go back to the summer and you know the 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 players that were let go I think it's been proven that we couldn't have kept any of them. None of them have went on to do anything. Most of them, you know, most of them aren't really playing anymore, which is even even worse. And they were too old or they're not good mm-hmm. enough. But then, then you sort of look at, you know, who do was sign? I mean, we're not here to play like a computer game and say, oh, I want to sign this guy and this guy. But the players really aren't there. I mean, I think uh, uh, we're missing a player like um, Billing for Bournemouth. Anytime he's played against us, he's been the difference. But 
who else do you buy? I mean, we were talking about Peter Whittingham earlier on, you know, the team that he was only maybe a bit part player of. Whenever Smith said, when I look around at the bench, I see quality. It, it, it doesn't compare if you had, you know, Peter Whittingham, a good top tier championship player on the bench. I mean, we don't have even top tier championship players in the bench. Yeah. You look at our squad and generally speaking, bar a couple of sort of spatterings of quality, it's a squad of squad players. Yeah, Courtney Hawes couldn't even get in the Wolves team, um, struggled to get on the bench. No, and again, and he had, he'd had injury problems. It's kind of like when you look at where like, these players came from. You know, we've, we've, we've very seldom gone and bought the best player from a, you know, a half decent club. You know, you look back to... You know, years gone by, you know, when we went and bought someone like a Stan Collymore from Liverpool. At that time, that was a marquee signing. Or when we went, you know, dipped into South America and bought Juan Pablo Angel, probably one of the best centre forwards in South America at one of the biggest clubs yeah. on the on that continent. You know, thinking these are these are marquee signings. Because at the moment, the uh, the recruitment seems to be where can we get value with potential sell on sell on value well it's it's this money ball thing that we've spoken about before isn't it it's it's naive it's not naive it's 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 run by business it's run by economics which sometimes don't relate to football because for example you could go and get a player who's 31 who face value there's no sell on there that's like a a cul-de-sac but he could probably give you the best two seasons of his career and that lifts the team even though you don't make any more money on him. But obviously that's a gamble. You, you may just get a player who's like, well, I'm too old for this shit, and he'll just uh, collect the money as we've seen with many of our players. But, you know, that's down to the recruitment to get the to analyze the mentality of the the person and see what the drive you know see what's left in the tank and as fans it's hard for us to do that because you can't sit down with the players and go right you know what are you all about are, are you somebody who just wants to walk in with the louis vuitton wash bag and act the role of a professional footballer without naming any names of the current villa team that don't actually spend much time on the grass but uh, live the life what the uh, the lansbury lifestyle you mean as, as i said i'm not mentioning <laughs> any names i i agree with what Phil said in that you, you look in at the, the pool of players that Villa potentially had at their disposal and I think well did Villa maybe do potentially as good a business as they were going to be able to we spent a lot of money you know net spend but in terms of the business we had to do when you break it down at 10 million pound a player at Premier League value that isn't a lot then you look at what our realistic wage structure is and Christian Perslow alluded to this in January that Villa can't even compete in terms of wages with teams like Burnley at the moment. We, yeah. We're not established in the Premier League for long enough to be able to restructure, you know, transfer fees. That that just comes straight out of the TV money. It's it's kind of like it's money in, it's money out. Thank you very much. Your wage structure comes from building up the whole club. You know, yeah. you, know you look at what Villa's highest earners, they're generally speaking by terms of a big team very average i mean you look at why abraham yeah. is turning down his chelsea contract um because he wants to be treated like the main man at chelsea and you think well is, yeah. is tammy abraham a, a potentially a 150 200 grand a week player absolutely not but that's yeah. the, the, the current lunacy of where the market is and whether we like it or not villa can't compete there yet there's pe- there's, there's potential that they can in the future but you've got to build you know Tam, tammy abraham aside i actually think the 
something like Chelsea's, you know, it's funny how some of these things sometimes work for clubs against clubs. Chelsea's transfer embargo long term will probably benefit them. Yeah. Because the value of Abraham, Mount, Tamori, these kind of players is going to skyrocket. And uh, hence what you've said about Perslow in uh, recent previous podcasts about this emphasis on the academy because that's the business model they want. That's their long goal. You know, Villa's owners, you know, as much as we want to stay up and, you know, Everyone is very much in the here and the now. These guys are rich enough. They're thinking 10 years. They're playing a very long game because they're rich enough to be able to do that. Fans don't think, oh, well, I'll take the short-term pain this season, but in 10 years will be great. You know, With everything going on in the world right now, everyone's thinking, well, where the hell are we going to be in 10 years? Everyone wants, they want yeah. everything now and it's, everybody wants instant gratification and success. And On that note, uh, I think it's time to wrap up. Uh, we have uh, other shows uh, to record over the weekend, so I'll keep you uh, up to date with them. There'll be uh, a flurry of uh, extra shows as well, so please do sign up to be a patron and also uh, make sure if you listen on Spotify and Apple to uh, subscribe as well so you know when the shows drop because at the moment we will not be running to a structure of uh, we will drop a show after a game because there are no games but uh, we will be as frequent uh, if not more frequent because isolation gives you a little time on your hands you can time to be creative david exactly so please do uh, stay with us and uh, the next few shows uh, will give you a uh, slice of what is to come in these weird old times stay safe wash your hands as everybody says but there's a reason for that try to avoid contact with people in supermarkets and up the villa until next time it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye goodbye days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans